Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome once again to Madam Perry's Salon, the podcast that loves you, the podcast that brings you the most fascinating people. We're a cultural salon in cyberspace, or as one of my first guests, Robert Leland Taylor, after he was on, he went back and announced to to the Facebook world, he said, I've been to Madam Perry's Salon. And it looks like the inside of Genie's bottle. So we're here out in the Genie bottle. I'm having my um, my fantasy of having my own cultural salon right here on the podcast in a Genie bottle in outer space. And I am thrilled to have you here. Again, I'm Madam Perry. If you're here for the first time, I am also uh, not just the host and producer. I am your spiritual advisor, groove mistress, and uh, cruise director for the evening. But you don't have to call me Madam. You can call me Jennifer. Jan, musicians usually call me JP, you can call me Perry. I don't care. I'm just happy that you're here and just so thankful that we're going into this show for I don't know how many years now, but I will say this. Some of the frequent oh, some of the most recent guests, Dave Cause, Grammy winning saxophonist Dave Cause that was on here a couple of months ago. Um, you know, he's out on tour now and he's checking in with me and I'm saying, you know, these are the shows, these are the pictures, and I'm going, That's great. Hopefully, when you get to Atlanta, I can go. So, um, thrilled to have him. He's a sweetheart of a guy. Also, Zuzu from the band Soraya Rocks was here recently. And uh, and they're out on tour. They're in the States now. They'll be in Sweden very soon. And for all of these people, I'll always share their social media information on all of mine as Madam Perry, as well as my personal social media so that you can find them. Franny Goldie has been posting lately about uh, a big sale on her website. Now, Franny Goldie, you know, she was on here. She's a songwriter, wrote some of the biggest hits in the world, uh, Night Shift by the Commodores, Stick With You, Pussycat Dolls, Dreaming by Selena. And she has a clothing store. Her magic pants are always uh, in Oprah and on The View. And, you know, if you go to her website and you go to buy something and put in M. P.S. The initials of Madam Perry Salon. When you go to about, use that for your code, you'll get a discount. So she wants to make sure everybody knows that. What else? Oh, Tina McElroy Anso was on um, maybe about a month, month and a half ago. And uh, my friend Kenya Colbert, who most of you that are regular listeners, you know my number one BFF, Kenya Colbert. Uh, Kenya uh, co-hosted that show. And while we were talking, Tina's friend Wanda Lloyd also a writer, uh, called in, and we chatted for a while. Well, since then, we all had so much fun. In fact, if he's listening now, and he probably is, uh, science fiction author Z.Z. Claiborne, uh, who his latest book, when he was on here, was, his latest sci-fi book is Afro Puffs Are the Antenna of the Universe. But this is an adult science fiction book. Don't make the mistake I did to buy for my grandchildren, and then it was... 
I, I read it just before I did that, mind you. But anyway, um, C.C. Claiborne listened to us and said, it was like listening to a bunch of my aunts when they're playing cards when I was a kid. And I thought, well, that sounds like a good thing. But anyway, they now have, Wanda and Tina have a podcast, and it's called Two Old Chicks Who Know a Lot of Shit. So find it on, on YouTube or Spotify or somewhere. They are they are so much fun, and they, are, they do know a lot of stuff, and a very smart and great writer. So tonight's guest, I am so super psyched because this is going to – I have been waiting for this night. Uh, tonight's guest is an author. This is her debut novel, and my gosh, if this is how she's starting out, if this is a debut novel, we've got a lot, a lot to look forward to from her. Uh, her book is called A Conspiracy of Mothers. It's the story of three mothers whose lives intersect during a generation-defining period in South Africa's history, history of apartheid. Uh, the book has been compared. Well, the author Susan Bernard actually said, uh, A Conspiracy of Mothers is a brilliant novel to be read alongside Trevor Noah's Born a Crime and Isabel Wilkerson's Castle. So before I just keep going on, I am want to introduce here for the first time and from the conversation I've already had with her, hopefully not the last time at all. Welcome to Madam Perry's Salon, Colleen Van Niekerk. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on and to chat with you. It's an absolute delight for me. Did I pronounce your name correctly? I should have asked that before. Oh, yeah. No, you've got it. There are two ways to say my last name. Van Niekerk is probably the, the best in North America, but in South Africa, you would say funny cat. So Van Niekerk is a little bit easier. Okay. Well, from my accent, you probably thought I was in New York or something, right? So. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> Definitely not. Regionally, no. No, okay, okay. All right, well, yeah, as long yeah. as I'm not too far off. Um, so, yeah, that's, well, thank you. I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for uh, getting me into your schedule and, uh, no, no and with your publicist as well. Congratulations on your book and on the great reviews you're getting. And thank you. Is this true? This is your first, this is your debut novel? It is. It is. I mean, you know, I think, you know, as, as with any sort of any writer, it takes a long time to get any piece of work out. So it feels like it's taken forever, but uh, you know, it, it is the first. Okay. Of, so of, the book, of, of many, but the first. So, um, yeah, because you've got a lot going on here in different places and history and so forth, a lot of things to put in. And to also, it's the kind of book to where if you're not familiar, like most of us aren't, with, uh, well, you know, they always say Americans don't know what's going on outside of America. But if you don't know, you know, there's a lot of history, too, for South, um, in South Africa. Now, my husband has yeah. worked a lot in Africa, and he would go for sometimes two to three to four months at a time, mostly working on West uh, Africa, like Guinea-Bissau, you know, Conakry, you know, on the Ivory Coast, sometimes in um, Central Africa, North of Central Africa. Once he went to South Africa, and uh, he found it to be a very uncomfortable place. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So when, we, we when, when was that exactly, if you don't mind me asking? It may have been, I'm trying to think. It may have been in the 90s. Hmm, okay. In the mid-90s. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll get to that later. So uh, if, if we do. But anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, I think the only good thing was he said they had to stay. They stayed in these little um, cabins, but they were, I guess, bamboo huts. And he said the doors didn't mm-hmm. lock, but every night a German shepherd would come in and stay with them and sleep all night, and then go back out the next morning. <laughs> Same German <Right>. shepherd. <laughs> so, and since we had one at home at the time, he said, "Okay, I just felt like he was sending me a buddy." Anyway, so talk about uh, the description. Uh, now, I just gave a, a quick description, but conspiracy of mothers. And when you mentioned, when it said here, um, Trevor Noah's Born a Crime or Isabel Wilson's Castle, Cast. I haven't read Cast. I think I mispronounced it earlier. Mm-hmm. I haven't read Cast, but I have read Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. And right. this is a situation that's also in, in the book, somebody whose actual birth is, is yeah, it, it, yeah, that's exactly it. And, I mean, Trevor's Trevor's book was great. You know, I mean, Trevor's mm-hmm. great. So, uh, but it was a really entertaining read. But it's the same, the same sort of set of of laws that came into play. You know, really, uh, I guess around his his family situation that apply here as well. And it kind of goes back to you know to the set of laws that we had under apartheid that determined you know who could be intimate with who you know, how that worked, uh, and, and the main sort of issue was really around, uh, you know, there was a legally defined white race, legally defined other groups as well, so ensuring that there was no, you know, no intimate relations between the white race and any other race. So, you know, if you were, you know, it, it's always hard for folks outside of South Africa to understand this, but there are these different groups, you know, there, there's a mixed group, there's a black group, there's, you know, Indian, all these weird sort of sub, you know, subcategories that we had. So, you know, white people and any other people could not be intimately involved without the law sort of becoming a factor in their lives. So that, you know, that kind of is, is the basis of what, you know, the, the sort of underlying conspiracy um, that sits really at the heart of the story. Mm-hmm. So tell us more then about, um, tell us about the book, about the characters in it. Um, Yolanda, Rachel, Ingrid, mm-hmm. who so they are in the their relationship. Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned earlier, there, there are three mothers here, and I'll, I'll kind of touch on each of them. Um, the, the protagonist who we, you know, whose story this ultimately is, is Yolanda. Uh, and, and she, you know, she is, she is the mother of Ingrid. And Ingrid is really, you know, not to give too much away, but she is, you know, she is the crime here, to put it in quotes, uh, in terms of, of someone born out of uh, contravention of those laws. Uh, so when we meet her, she, you know, she had been outside of South Africa for about 20 years. Uh, in self-imposed exile, she's in she's in the states, and uh, you know, and she had left in the 70s. You know, she this is 1994 where we sort of meet her, uh, and it's the month it's April of 94, sort of early early in that month, just before um, these huge democratic elections in South Africa, and she's you know she's kind of weighing up whether or not to return, whether to go back, and many South Africans who were in exile, you know, politically imposed exile or self-imposed or whatever the situation was. Uh, did come back, you know, from the early 1992 onward, um, and she's sort of in that place where, you know, she she has to she has to return, and um, you know, there are things that she has to face. Um, you know, uh, she had a particularly horrific incident happen to her. She, you know, the return to to the country means dealing with that, um, but you know, arguably bigger than that is the daughter that she had left behind, who was injured, um, who she hasn't seen, you know, since uh, since she was a newborn. Uh, which, you know, as you can imagine, that there's a, there's a lot of emotion attached to that. Uh, so mm-hmm. England had been left in the care of, of the, the second mother, um, being Rachel, who is Yolanda's mother. So England has, had been living with her grandmother. And her grandmother as well, you know, takes on a sort of protecting, you know, protecting sort of role within the story 
she wants, you know, she wants um, Yolanda to find peace, to return, to find home, to find peace. She wants Ingrid to understand her origins, and she kind of orchestrates things to kind of bring that to fruition um, and, you know, is a key driver in the story. But she, in turn, is also trying to find her own, you know, her own home, her own peace, her own sort of state of, of rest, as it were. So she, so she's mother number two. And then the third one is, is actually Ingrid's other grandmother. So her father's wife and uh, the father's mother, Alsa, you know, is sort of on the, you know, an antagonist here. So she's, you know, less, less keen to see the truth emerge uh, that this child exists, that the son had this relationship. So she becomes the kind of counterpoint to the other two mothers um, to kind of pull in a different, different direction and kind of maintain the sort of conspiracy or secret here um, for as long as she can. So, uh, and, and that is, she hasn't seen uh, her daughter and since, since she was a baby, since she was born. So Yolanda, um, and because um, Ingrid's father was a white man, that makes it illegal. It was an affair. Right. Okay. So this yeah. is illegal. Yeah. And in the they were both. Sorry. Go ahead. No, honey. We're here so to they, listen they to were you. Both young, they were both young at the time. No, no worries. Okay. Um, they were young at the time. So you know, it was a you know, I guess a, a relationship that in any other circumstances they would have just been two young people, you know, meeting and, and getting together, which you know obviously happens all the time. Um, but you know, at the time that it happened, you know, that obviously was uh, was not was. Uh, problematic for both of them, but probably more so really for her because, you know, in, in those circumstances at that time uh, where there was a sort of cross-racial, interracial relationship, it was almost always the person of color who got the more punitive end of, of the stick than the person who was white. But the white person, you know, there was a lot more blaming and shaming and naming happening there. Um, and it was sort of treated as a, as a moral, you know, moral and religious sort of issue. Um, so, you know, so problems all around of, of a different nature for both of those. So that, that's sort of, you know, English origin uh, story, as it were, in the context of her parents. So then Yolanda goes, uh, she, she leaves South Africa and goes to, where does she go to England first? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she sort of, she has no clear exit plan when she goes. I um, mean the conditions, and that's partly because the conditions in which she's leaving are are so are so challenging for her that she just knows that she needs to go, um, but she doesn't know you know where she's going. Uh, so there's obviously a lot of sort of you know personal stuff happening, but the bigger context um, you know within within South Africa at the time was you know this is around 1976, and you know South Africa sort of went through you know, periods of, of what was called unrest. And, and that moment was pivotal. Um, it was, you know, an event called the Soweto Uprising happened, um, and it just generated a whole generation, sort of politicized the whole generation of people. And it just, you know, the, the upheaval kind of reached a, uh, you know, a boiling point and kind of, you know, really carried on from there into the 80s, if you look at, if you look at history. Um, but, you know, it created for her a clear sense that she could not be safe. And she could not keep her child safe. So that, you know, so for her, the the act of safety meant leaving and uh, and just going somewhere else. Um, and and England was was the first sort of landing, you know, landing place for her. And then she kind of moved on from there many years later to the states. Oh, tell us part part of what um, a couple of the things that drive the story. 
have to do, you know, with actual historical events like the um, South Africa's National Party when they came to power and the legislation. Yeah. There was a couple of things. The Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act, and that was 49, and yeah. then right after that in 50, the Immorality Amendment Act. What were those? Mm-hmm. What did they mean to people? For those of us that, that, you know, for people that don't know. Sure. So, you know, the, the, um, so they really, in, in summary, were two acts that, and it was interesting because the National Party kind of, almost as, as soon as they came into power, these were the acts that they focused on first, which kind of gives you a sense of what their priorities were. So, so they were, you know, if, if you look at apartheid overall, there was sort of grand apartheid, which was the, you know, major laws that really kind of, you know, racial classification and all these things that operated to kind of really establish segregation. And there was sort of, you know, petty apartheid, which was, you know, fines on the beach and fines and all these sort of things that kind of came up later. But this was the first sort of pair of, of, of acts. Uh, and, you know, this was the law. So, you know, legislation kind of came in. So there was a different act in the books um, earlier in the 20th century around, you know, kind of, kind of sort of forbidding, you know, cross interracial relations, but they formalized it um, with these two acts. And they, you know, if you look at the, at the language of it, they make it very clear, but it's around, you know, there will be, you know, no intimate relations, no marriage, you know, they, they kind of really enshrined a sort of master-servant relationship between, you know, the white race and everyone else. Um, and that, that was it. And, you know, there was, you know, penalty of fining, jailing, all these things could happen if you, if you were found to break the law. And I think it's important to know people always find their way around these things, but, you know, you run the risk of getting caught and that, mm-hmm. uh, that you know, that can be bad. You know, an interesting thing that, I, in, that in the um, author's note, beginning of the book or before the book begins and that I learned um, in Trevor's Noah's book is that how that government there had decided to categorize people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was the most, I I mean, I know it's real and I know it's horrible, but it's just Mm -hmm. bizarre. Like who's going to pick out who's, um, who's going to be white? Who's going to be black? Who's going to be, colored um -hmm. i mean have i got that right yeah yeah you got i mean the the group i don't mention um indian but that you know there were there's a huge indian presence in south africa as well but yeah that that's exactly it that is and so they just go ahead and put people in the groups and i've got to think that's got to tear families apart too as well as communities yeah yeah very much so because i think people need to you know there was always some sense of um, of, uh, of, of separation, you know, and, and it's a long history. There's the English and there's the Afrikaners and they didn't get on. And, you know, there's all these different, different groups. There's a huge, you know, South Africa has 11 official languages. So, and that's because there are so many different groups as well, you know, other tribal groups that had been there before colonization. Um, so, so they're in the mix as well. Um, but, you know, the, so, so all of this existed and then this, you know, this grand apartheid came and landed like a spaceship on top of all these people and said, you know, you guys are now black, you know, with completely sort of uh, obliterating all the distinctions that exist within the different groups that fall in this sort of black, black banner. Um, and you guys are white and, and colored. And the whole process of, of reaching that was classification. And as I, I said in the note as well, you know, they would test you. They would check your hair. They'd run a pencil, you know, the, the infamous pencil test is what people know. Um, they put a pencil in your hair. If it fell out, if it stayed in, that determined the texture of your hair. I mean, just hugely, oh hugely humiliating things. Yeah, they check your nose, you know, the color of your eyes. And, you know, like the, biologically, this is just, I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd because, 
anyone will tell you that the, you know, the factors that go into determining those things are like point, point, something, something of the makeup of people. So it, it's, but that's what they fixated on. And you would go and be classified. It was in your ID book. You know, you'd have a little number into, you know, in this long number that said, this is who you are. And that's, that's it. That's where you live. That's where you go to school. You know, the jobs you can have, all those things uh, were determined by that. It's crazy. It is. It's, it's unfathomable. But as you put, when you were describing it in the author's note, you said uh, about the outlining the different groups that that they, people were assigned to. That after all, yeah. and, and this is a quote from your from your author's note. After all, one couldn't enact policies of white supremacy if one couldn't determine definitively who was white and who was not. Exactly. It's a, very, it's a very chilling, very sort of calculating way of looking at it. But, but that's it. If you're going to give privilege to someone, then you need to say who that someone is. Um, mm-hmm. And they did it, you know, with just a very surgical sort of approach. So let's get back. So now we've got, got some background on the story and origins and um, a little bit of background on Useless, and tell us how this story came together, the characters of uh, Yolanda, Rachel, Ingrid, and um, oh, the other grandmother, um, Ansa. Ansa. Um, how did those characters come together? Were they, you know, people always say, were they based on someone you know, or is that like a composite? Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, they certainly are, um, you know, there are elements of, of things that I've seen in those two that kind of lend lend some veracity to them. I always say that, you know, writers try and walk this line between what's, you know, plausibility and veracity, like you kind of play in, in that space in the middle. Um, so, so there definitely is that. I mean, none of them are based on, you know, on, on, any, on any particular person. There are experiences, you know, including my own, that are woven into some of them. Um, you know, Yolanda, I think, was, you know, I sort of imagined her because, you know, I, I also imagine if, if I'd been born 15 years earlier, you know, what, you know, what are some of the, the things that I would have had to sort of consider? Um, just kind of looking back at, at the generation, that generation of 76 that, that came before, you know, who were they, what were some of the things that they dealt with? And, you know, and if you lived kind of as an artist outside of the, of the political kind of sphere, you know, how do you process what's going on around you and how do you kind of, you know, maintain your truth, especially as a woman and, and as a woman of color? Um, which, you know, in, in any situation is, is challenging, but I think particularly at that time um, was quite difficult. So, so for me, you know, that was, you know, I tried to sort of deal with some of those questions with her. Um, with Rachel, there's, you know, there's a very strong, you know, again, design on my part to really understand, you know, South Africa's own First Nations, the people who were there previously, who, you know, for us when we were growing up were always kind of, you know, just sort of, you know, written out of the story. They were, you know, it was the sort of, Terranalias, you know, people came and white people arrived and, you know, there was no one there except very grateful natives and that obviously wasn't the case. So I wanted mm-hmm. to sort of understand more about, about her, you know, her history and, w- and imagine what that was like um, so that, you know, that was, that was interesting and, and, you know, research what was possible. And then, you know, Ingrid's very much, you know, Ingrid's experiences are probably more sort of coterminous of my own. So, you know, I, I came of age in, in the 90s, so it was kind of easier to kind of imagine some of where she was at. But but that transition period, you know, there was nothing about that that predicted that it was going to be smooth. I mean, the country was, it was an enormously tumultuous time. You know, there was some indications before that, you know, there was going to be a loosening. And there was some, there was some loosening of laws. Um, but it was, you know, it, it was just, it was challenging and it still is in, in many respects. 
And then ulcer was, was probably the easiest to imagine because, you know, there's just this, you know, and, you know, readers who are familiar with that kind of very, you know, this is by the book kind of person. This is exactly how it is. This is the way I've set up my world. You know, that's, you know, that kind of obstinance is, is very much encompassed in her. Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take you to write Conspiracy of Mothers? Because there's a lot, oh, I think was, there's a lot of research that went into it, right? Yeah, there is. There is. And, you know, it was, I sort of, um, uh, you know, it sounds odd, but I, I learned how to write by writing it. I sort of set myself this challenge. So <laughs> it, it was a decade. You know, it was all, okay, if you're going to, you know, either get on with this thing or just go do something else. So <laughs> it was pretty much um, a case of, okay, so just make, make it happen. It was a decade and it was a case of, of learning the craft of writing, um, you know, let alone getting into publishing and understanding, you know, that, that end of things. Um, but, yeah, there was a lot of, of research because I, I had just left South Africa, in, you know, when I sort of really took this on. And it was really an opportunity for me to look back and, and better understand, you know, okay, so, you know, when you, when you live somewhere, there are things that you just don't see because that's just a part of the fabric of, of what's around you. Um, so it was a chance to really look and, and understand some of what I had taken for granted. So, yeah, there was a lot of, of reading, research, understanding what, you know, okay, so we call ourselves, you know, these different names as groups. Why do we do that, you know, and, and figuring out then how to also explain that to others um, who may not, you know, may not understand where the terminology comes from. But, yeah, it was, it was a good, good few years. Mm. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'm fascinated by what you just said, too, about you learned to write. You feel like you learned to write by writing a book. <laughs> Lady. (laughs) 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 Okay. Well, I think if that was a course, you taught yourself. I I think you got the A-plus summa cum laude on that, okay? uh, Thanks so much. That's just such a magnificent job. I got to say, I I know you're not going to have any spoilers for people, which is good because – I haven't finished it because this is one of those books where I would start and have to go back over and read, and go back over to make sure I had oh, everything yeah. down. And then I'd find my husband right, reading right. over my shoulders. So I got to stop, let him finish that page. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> which is a good, <laughs> so, you know, that's a good book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, good discussion. That will, that will make for some good, you know, good chats about what do you think. So, oh, yeah, I wouldn't know he was there. You'd go, oh, that was all. And, well, I'm not going to say because I don't want anybody to know. They got to they got to figure it out for themselves. They got to read it themselves. Right. Um, but then he would start commenting. I didn't know you were back there behind me reading. So yeah, he would have a comment <laughs> on something going on. And uh, okay, well, all right, let me just sit here and let you finish that page before I before I go on. Oh, you know, great. but that's good because we both love to read. So um, right. So, so yeah. So don't think this is the one, because it's got mothers about mothers. Do not think that this is strictly a women's book. This is not chick lit. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, my chick lit writer friends and fans, but that does not mean that this is just a woman's book uh, by any means. When, um, when was the book actually published? It was just published this month. Uh, it's actually, so, so the official publication date is October the 1st. Um, it was an Amazon first read pick for for the September for now. So the, so the Kindle edition is is out. If you're a Prime member, it's it's out there. Um, so that's you know so there's obviously that that benefit. Um, but the official date for for all the other editions is October first. Okay. 
Let me read. Uh, so, okay, so you, you can get in on this now. Write on it. Put this on your TBR to be read list. Um, I'd like to read part of the other, uh, this, the uh, excuse me, part of the review from uh, Patrick Tariq Mellet, uh, who is the author of The Lie of 1652, A Decolonized History of Land. Uh, and it says, quote, reading Colleen Van Niekerk's A Conspiracy of Mothers was a gut-wrenching, emotional roller coaster experience with many lines resonating with my own belief that for South Africans to attain restorative justice, we first need to experience restorative memory. Colleen captures all of this so well in cameos of captured time, which closely touched many a raw nerve of yet unhealed wounds that are a part of many of our lives. The world of lies and secrets and the pain that goes with it are vividly brought to life. And that's, that's deep. That means, um, you know, you had to go through and remember and relive a lot of things at the same time, mm-hmm. which I would think would be very difficult. Yeah, I think it is. And I think it's, it's also, you know, and, and, you know, I, I can't say enough about Tarek. I've, I've known him for a long time. Um, you know, he, his own work and his own life, I think, are testament to, to a kind of resilience and, and a commitment, I think, to, you know, setting South Africa on the right course. So, you know, so that, but it's, it's hard work, you know, it's always hard work. But I think, you know, I think looking at, at you know, experiences that I've had and looking at, you know, as I mentioned again, when you're kind of in, in something, you don't think about, you know, all the implications of, of why things are the way, but understanding for my family, for others, you know, what are some of the sacrifices that people sort of went through and what are the things that people just lived with? Because I think that was a large part of why, so, you know, why apartheid proceeded as it did, because people just, you know, had that, uh, well, this is the way it is, you know, kind of kind of approach, um, which is, you know, it's shuttering you. There are things that you're still enabling a system by, by saying by saying that, um, but, you, you know, you don't see yourself as culpable in that way. So there were, there were certainly things to contend with, um, you know, generationally, and I think that's, that's the important part, really, of, of any experience of systemic racism. It is always generational. It's, it's your experience. It's your, you know, your elders, you know, those who came before, those who are around you, um, and others, who, you know, whose paths you sort of cross, just having that awareness of, of the context that we're all sort of living in. Okay, I'm going to stop for just a moment. Um, I'm going to get some more water. Maybe you can too. And for anyone listening, if you want to talk to Colleen, the number is 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call in the continental U.S., 646-716-9922. Or for people who... uh, I've got a lot of listeners that can't always call because they're out of a job. Well, they can't make a call like this, so they always send them messages. So you can always message me on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or through Jennifer Maudette Perry, and I will share your comment or question with Colleen. And let me get on the studio. And, um, yeah, so you can send your question, your message. And I've got to tell you, too, if you don't get a call, I've got to tell you something about I've been doing this show a long time, Colleen, and – my listeners, yeah. very, very interesting people. Oftentimes, they'll, yeah. they've never heard of the guest. They'll go get 
the information before the show, so they know some often more than I do about the guests by the time it happens. Ah, and sometimes they'll just listen. Nobody will call, and then afterwards I get lots of messages going. Well, why didn't you ask them this? Well, there be. I thought you were going to talk about that. And I go, you should, you should have called. No, I was listening. So I've been able to come in right after. So uh, I, I am very, very fortunate. I have a very uh, savvy and uh, uh, intellectually curious uh, audience. I've been very, very lucky like that. Okay. okay so um, here we go. Oh, don't want to play the wrong thing. All right. We'll be back in just almost a minute. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh. Right? When her dog's barking in the background and she's talking to the duck, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? See, you pay somebody enough money, they'll say anything <laughs> for you. And <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, we're lucky if these little extortionists that I call corgis don't start barking. Usually they sit there with a, a tweet. Oh, Nice pot. Oh, nice guest you have on tonight. Be a shame if something were to happen. They couldn't hear because we're barking. <laughs> you know, because you got to have a fistful of milk bones to hand out. But anyway, that's enough of that. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah. And, and I asked this, the question about the difficulty of go, revisiting situations. And um, even though you're writing up characters, you're, you're writing about real things that have happened to lots and lots and lots of people. And some things that you've experienced and, and things that you've seen friends and family go through. And I know that recently I was taking a comedy writer class, comedy writing class uh, from a woman who's done a lot of, written for a lot of TV and films and done a lot of stage work. And in the second one, she challenged me about something I had, a, a, some, something where I had titled one piece of work because we all brought what we were working on for help. And she challenged me about something. And so why are you using this word? And I told her why. And she said, in the second time week, no, I want you to write down why. And I want you to tell me the story. And I want you to make, tell me the true story of your life that made you say this. And I want you to make me cry. So I got to working on it. And wow. I just couldn't do it. I went down some places I had, I had never been um, in a long time, I thought, I'm going to have to quit. I'm not going to be able to get through this without professional help. So, you know, and I wasn't expecting that. I really, really wasn't. And, uh, and my yeah. husband, I was, he kept thinking I was mad at him. I was upset. I go, no, I just can't write this thing. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't do it. I can't bring all this stuff back up. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, and I'm thinking that was just me. I, I ended up dropping out. It was a four-week class, but I dropped out. I'll, I'll and I'm thinking, okay, wow. you've gone through 10 years of remembering all this and reliving to write it for each character. And then if you don't just write it and rewrite and edit. You've got to edit and line edit so you're over and over mm-hmm. again. Um, yeah, I hope you have a support I mean, you get, system. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've always had a, a really good, um, you know, just my family, you know, 
my critique group, so folks who, and I think it's important to have people, you know, when, when you, make a, you make a decision to take something that, any piece of art, but you're writing something, you decide you're going to put it out there for the world, you have to have people who will help you have some detachment from it, because otherwise you're not going to make it. Like, it, it's a very, you know, it just becomes, it, it becomes overwhelming. So I think folks who, who can help, you know, with that, with the writing process, um, and just, you know, just with the, you know, with the, um, you know, the, the endurance, I think, of it as well. Um, but, but I think it's important for people to know this is, it's not a memoir. This is, it is fiction. So in as much as it maps to, to many, you know, many real life experiences, it, it remains that. So, you know, there is that degree of separation for me from, from the story as well. Was there anything that, that you ended up taking out that, I mean, I'm sure there were a lot of editing things you took in and out, but is there, is there anything that you thought mm-hmm. would just be too much for people to deal with? Yeah, there, there certainly were a couple. Um, yeah, there, there were some elements to it. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, there's nothing that, that I think radically changed the arc of the story. Um, but I think, you know, just uh, there, there were a couple of scenes that were like, this is, you know, this is just, you know, we're in, we're in a dark place and it's not, there's no lights on if I, if I put this in here. So, you know. <laughs> So there was some of that, and obviously there's there's considerations of of the length of the of the story as well, and and the flow. So there there wasn't too much of that, um, but there were there were a couple pieces that that I removed, but nothing that I think really changed uh, the way you would see a character or understand that that character's development. When you um, when people have read the book to do reviews or blurbs, um, oh wait just a minute, I do have a caller right here. Hold oh, with me just a moment, Colleen. Sure. Hi, welcome to Madam Perry's salon. Come on in and say hello. Hi, surprise. Hello, how Hi. you doing? Hey, good. How are you? <laughs> this is one of our favorite, favorite regulars. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yes, they call, this might be Colleen's first time in a genie bottle. So yeah, I want to make yeah, sure she's is. comfortable. <laughs> I want to make sure she's got a good cushion to sit on. I'm going to make sure she's comfortable. So this is our friend, Peter, the Polish animator. Cartoonist. Oh. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. He always says, this is Peter. This is your favorite Polish <laughs> yes. cartoonist and actor. Yeah. So. Hey, we got, we, got to, we got to boost ourselves somehow, so there you go. Yes, we do, each and every one. <laughs> well, I was calling in because I have kind of a – it's more of a question of art for you than, than anything else. So it's three generations of women in South Africa. How I'm one of the biggest problems that I find as a writer, whatever I'm writing, is trying to not only find the voice of my characters, but try to get my voice in there because I'm ultimately moving a story forward. How were you able to balance uh, uh, the three different voices that you have there, and uh, and your own voice trying to move the narrative along? Right, so so I think so. In terms of of my own voice, you know, I I decided my natural inclination is to write across multiple points of view, um, so that you know I, I use action and plot to to kind of be that propulsion, you know, moving things forward and then kind of you know giving everyone their sort of moment in the sun to sort of say their piece. Um, but but I think for me as a writer, it's really important to. It sounds like I'm possessed, but to sort of hear these characters and hear what they sound like. So probably a large part of, of the time spent writing, 
um, and, and in the early drafts was actually writing in, you know, in their language. So Alta is Afrikaans, so I wrote her pieces, you know, her dialogue in Afrikaans so that I could hear her. And that probably took, took a long, long time of just, you know, defining what their, what their cadence was like, what they would say, how they would react, um, their speech. And, you know, to your point, understanding that across, you know, not just generations, but also, you know, just which parts of South Africa they're from and, and class considerations, what would they sound like? And again, what, the, what would their behavior be? So there's a certain, for me, there's a certain amount of, you know, just, you know, setting aside, you know, um, you know, I think your voice as an author comes through in, in other ways, your prose, your use of language, of word choices and those things, but it's almost like setting, you know, setting the table for these characters to come to um, and they can sort of sit down and present, you know, the way that they sound and the way that they think. Um, and of course, you know, you're kind of orchestrating where it's going, um, but that it was literally just a process literally of, of sort of hearing them, listening, you know, writing and, and rewriting um, until I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this person would say this, do this, and, you know, then kind of mapping that out um, on the arc. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of it. There was an American comic strip called The Boondocks. Uh, it was uh, by Aaron Magruder, who was a Chicago native. Uh, have you ever heard of it? Yeah. I, you know, vaguely, but I don't. I couldn't tell you, like, right now exactly what it was about. Okay. Uh, it, was, it, was about, uh, it was about this black family that moves into a white suburb and basically right. dealing with the culture shock between not only them being in this environment but everybody getting used to them. And the family mm-hmm. unit consisted of uh, the grandpa, and then you had Huey, and then you had Riley. And, uh, okay. uh, the, and the three of them basically each was kind of a viewpoint, uh, a distinct viewpoint of any particular issue. Grandpa was the segregationist right. who had dealt with the civil rights movement in the U.S. Huey was the revolutionary right. and the radical still trying to make change. And Riley was the thug mm-hmm. who embraced gangster culture. And the stories mm-hmm. basically threw the three of them in there playing off each other and – uh, and uh, and how they reacted to things, and it was a, and it was an interesting mix, and it's like right. it's a it's something that I think people should do more often because you get to explore a lot more, and you know it's like you know through genera- reading uh, the description of your book, it's like this sounds a little like that where you have one situation everybody reacts to it differently and you get to shine a spotlight on the different aspects using them. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, that, and that, that sounds interesting. I think that it's always worth remembering that, you know, that, that even, like, you know, I, I'm South African, I'm South Africans, you know, and Canadian, so I sort of look at, at the African-American experience, and, and even, you know, for me, I'm aware that in different regions, you know, people have different histories, different ways of speaking, different ways of being, so there's, there's always, like, for me, context, and that super local context is everything, even when it comes to, you know, to that, you know, that scenario you've just described, because people are not, you know, are not the same. And that, that kind of multidimensionality, I think, is important to bring to your characters because that makes them real people. They exist, you know, on these different planes, their mothers and, you know, divorcees or whatever the situation might be at the same time. I mean, artists, you know, uh, so, so that it's always interesting to kind of learn more beyond just what they think to who they are. That's interesting. Um, I know you had one more question, Peter. Uh, uh, actually, I think I might have forgotten it. <laughs> okay. I, I had one in mind, but hey. okay. uh, unfortunately, this is how the mind works. It's like you get on one tangent, and all of a sudden, uh, hit the back button on the browser. <laughs> no, page lost. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I guess I was thinking about um, when you said Aaron Magruder, 
because uh, I used to read Boondocks too, and, and and I think he's a great cartoonist and great writer. But I remember there was a, um, gosh, it could have been 15 years ago. It had to have been. Um, I think it was during the the second Bush presidency, uh, Bush the younger, and oh, yeah. there was an award show that Aaron Magruder got an award. When he got up, I remember he said something to the effect. And I was trying to find the actual. Um, trying to find the actual quote here but I couldn't but it's something to the effect of before he after he accepted the award before he left the stage left the podium he said something about who what kind of sense of humor or twisted sense of humor did somebody have to put me in the same row with Condoleezza Rice <laughs> because they had totally different political views <laughs> well well, not only that, but also towards the end of the strip's run, uh, Huey and the other kids were trying to set up Condoleezza Rice, figuring that she needed to go on a date to calm her down. So, yeah, if that happened, if that happened after those strips ran, yeah, that oh, was an interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because Ooh, to hear that conversation. Yeah, because after that, he also said, and uh, Magruder also said. Um, look, I don't want anybody, it's just, it's just a joke, I don't want anybody to get mad. I'm fully aware that, excuse me, here's this quote, actually the quote is, I was eminently aware when I met Condi that she could make my whole family disappear. <laughs> oh, <my God>. okay, <laughs> all righty. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, having characters that bounce off each other is a lost art. There's so many people that when they write, they just write things happening around the character, and the character's just kind of moving through it and taking the reader along for a ride. I mean, it's, think about like, I mean, like, for example, probably one of the best examples would be Star Trek because, you know, Kirk has to make a decision. He has McCoy arguing the human side and Spock arguing the logical side, and he's trying to weigh the issues and try and figure out what's important. But you don't have that without the characters bouncing off each other and sometimes coming into conflict with each other to come up with the, with their points of view. Yeah, but and, that's where really it's interesting, right? When you when you hear when the characters you sort of let them let you know let them have at it and see where they go because they may they may go where you had not anticipated at all. Oh, oh, uh, uh, I do a comic strip called Stress Puppy, and I think uh, Madame Perry can vouch for the characters going off on their own quite a bit in that. <laughs> oh yeah. So I like I love actually uh, Colleen's um, example or explanation about bringing different people to the table, the different characters, the voice of talk. Um, I think in your comic strip, they just kind of take off one to the break room, one to hide out in the in the. <laughs> In the company restroom, whatever, while they plot their whatever, they I don't know how you sit them at a table to make them talk, but anyway, but I but I do like that, Colleen. Um, I, I am so excited about your book, and I'm so so proud that um, I got a chance to read it ahead of time oh, that's great. and to tell everybody. Thank you. I know that you're on uh, you're on Twitter and Instagram because you and I are connected mm-hmm. on both of those places, and right. I believe you're on Facebook as well. Yes, I do have an author page on Facebook as well. Author page. So um, I want everybody to know um, a conspiracy of mothers officially out in October, but you can go ahead and and get what the um, the digital copy now. 
Mm-hmm. Or, and of course, okay. pre order is open as well. So pre order. Like, you, I mean, yep. You will. So it's not going to always be easy, but you are going to be so glad you got this book, so glad you read this book. And I'm going to make sure, Colleen, and you know, because you can also check me since we're already connected, but I will be sharing this link to get your book on all of my social media. Um, Peter, our favorite uh, Polish cartoonist, I hope you will as well. I will do so, yes. I will send it as far as I can. You got a pretty wide network, so uh, we'll both be sharing it, and everybody that listens, I am sure will as well. I am wish you much, much success on this book and the next book and the next book, and in all you do, <laughs> Colleen. Thank you, thank you so, so much, much for being so generous with your time to be on my podcast, and uh, thanks to everyone who's listening. Uh, as I said in the beginning, I do hope. You will, this will not be your only time that you will feel you have a home in the genie bottle and you'll always return. Thank you. Thanks. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Appreciate it. it was, oh, good. It was an absolute pleasure. So um, I'm going to go out now and tell folks, you know, next week we've, you can always go on uh, uh, Madame Perry Salon on Facebook to see who's coming up next as well as uh, on Blog Talk Radio. And after the show is over, if you don't hear it on Blog Talk Radio, you can always listen to it. It's free downloads on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Podbean. And I think there's a lot more that are probably actually making money off of this. So whatever platform app you, I mean, podcast app you use, you can listen to this again and again and again. And I thank you so much. All I can think of now is just to go out with my song, Everybody's Got to Swing. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, everybody. Be good to yourself. Be good to each other. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.